This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Manning, Technical Service Consultant in the BT Technical Services team. A group of qualified individuals who can help you as advisors answer any advice technical related inquiries you may have. On the 18th of January, I delivered episode 67 of our fortnightly webinar series titled Self-Money Super Funds, Investment, Exotic Asset and Structures. This consisted of a case study where the trustees of a new SMSF were considering various investment options. If you're interested but missed, you can still watch on demand by clicking on this session in the webinars menu of BT Academy. There are a few questions from advisors during and after this session, which is great. So this podcast addresses subsequent questions from advisors. Most of the questions related to whether an SMSF can purchase a particular asset. So let's look at three of these. As I mentioned during the session, this matter can be subjective. And the answer to a client's question of, can my SMSF purchase this asset, is often different to the question, should my SMSF purchase this asset? Also, where trustees have their heart set on their SMSF purchasing a particular asset, and there's any doubt as to whether or not this is permitted, and also what restrictions may apply, I'd suggest it's prudent that before the purchase, the trustee speak to the SMSS auditor and or apply to the ATO for SMSS-specific advice. So number one, an SMSF which is to purchase cryptocurrency. Are they allowed to store the crypto coin in physical cold wallet? Now, just as a quick explanation in case you're unfamiliar, there's two methods of storing cryptocurrency. There's hot storage, whereby the wallet is connected to the internet and accessed via an application or platform. And the other method is cold storage, whereby the wallet is not connected to the internet and is usually held in a specific device, such as a hardware USB stick, which is designed to store cryptocurrency. The most relevant requirement for this matter is this regulation 4.09a, which requires the SMSS assets to be held separately from personal assets. A section of the ATO site states, and I quote, the fund must maintain and be able to provide evidence of a separate crypto wallet for the SMSF from the one that's being used by trustees and members personally, end quote. However, it does not make any distinction between hot versus cold wallets. I would interpret this to mean that cold wallets are not specifically prohibited so long as the CIS Regulation 4.09a and other requirements are satisfied, including that the cold wallet is stored in a secure place and only contains the crypto assets owned by the SMSF, that is, any crypto assets the members hold personally should be stored in a different wallet. I would also say that the cold wallet which holds a cryptocurrency should be owned by the SMSF to ensure the ownership is clear. Another consideration in practice, which would probably be more difficult for cold storage when compared to hot storage, is what will the SMSS auditor require to accept this method of holding the crypto asset? That is, in practice, the SMSS trustee should ensure they can prove that the cold wallet continues to contain the amount of crypto assets the SMSF has purchased. Number two, can an SMSF invest in a Lego set? Now, notwithstanding, I personally don't think an SMSF should purchase LEGO, uh, but I've concluded that an SMSF can. However, there's a number of requirements and considerations. 
Let's say you have a client who knows a great deal about this topic and the Lego they're looking to purchase via their SMSF is in some way far more valuable than most Lego. For example, it's a limited edition set. Apparently some open sets, particularly it seems Star Wars themed sets, can sell for several thousand dollars. Anyway, I would say that this is permitted, so long as the usual requirements are satisfied, including that the Lego is not used for personal enjoyment, the Lego is permitted by the SMSS investment strategy, and the SMSF trustee believes the Lego set will appreciate in value, that is, be of benefit to members in their retirement. Also, Lego would fall under the collectible rules. This is because whilst not specifically listed as a collectible, in CISAC section 62A, subsection M essentially acts as a catch-all by including as a collectible, and I quote, asset of a particular kind if assets of that kind are ordinarily used or kept mainly for personal use or enjoyment, not including land, end quote. So this would include Lego and other such toys. The implication of an SMSF uh, being considered a collectible of what they're purchasing is that an additional set of requirements apply. So the Lego cannot be leased to a related party or stored in the private residence of a related party. The trustees need to make a decision relating to the storage of the Lego and keep a written record for at least 10 years. The Lego must be insured within seven days of the SMSF acquisition so in practice, they'd have to find an insurance company prepared to insure Lego. And the asset cannot be used by a related party. So definitely no playing with a Lego. And I'd even argue where the Lego is an unopened set, they cannot even open as this will decrease the value. Also, if in the future the Lego is transferred from the SMSF to a related party, the market price must be determined by a qualified independent valuer. Number three, can an SMSF purchase lottery tickets? Now, apparently the client's rationale for why this should be allowed is even though most lottery tickets don't win and therefore are worth exactly zero after the draw, the same could be said for many ASX companies. They could address to the auditor and or the ATO, but I would disagree and be with the view that an SMSF cannot purchase lottery tickets. Admittedly, there doesn't appear to be an ATO reference. How to come back to the fact that the SMSF must have an investment strategy, which includes formulating and reviewing the composition of the SMSF's investments of a whole, and that the ordinary meaning of the word investments would not include lottery tickets, as this is far better described as gambling, not investing. Also, I think the trustees would have great difficulty convincing the auditor or the ATO that the sole purpose test is satisfied. For the analogy with ASX shares, at least where a particular ASX stock ends up becoming worthless, at the time of purchase, the shareholders did so at a value determined by the market and could have sold the shares at some stage before it was delisted or suspended and then delisted. Whereas for lottery tickets, once purchased, there's no market to subsequently sell. Two other questions that were concept rather than specific investment based were number four, what happens if an SMSF acquires an asset from a related party, such as a member of the fund, and does not pay the related party anything for the asset? This is known as an in-specie contribution, and it's possible so long as the asset is allowed to be acquired from the related party, 
with the main three typical examples of assets that are allowed being business real property, listed ASX shares and managed funds. However, as the cap of the SMSF is being increased, doing so is considered a contribution, so the member would need to consider the contribution caps and standards, and the SMSF would be required to report the market value of the property as a contribution. The same principle applies where full consideration has not been paid. So for an example, if a member is eligible to receive 330,000 non-concessional contributions and wants to transfer business real property, such as a commercial shop that they own, into their SMSF, and that property is valued at 500,000, this would breach the cap. However, the SMSF could transfer $170,000 in cash to the member, and then that purchases 34% of the property, and then the remaining 66%, which equates to $330,000, of the property can then be transferred as an in-specie contribution. Other considerations when adopting such a strategy, as with all contributions, the in-specie contribution is subject to preservation, the transfer is a CGT trigger for the related party individual, and depending on the state, another specific stamp duty might be applicable. Number five, is there a breach of the SIS Act Section 109 if an SMSF owns business real property and rents to a related party at above market rate? Now, Section 109 is known as a requirement for SMSFs to make and maintain investments on an arm's length basis, and this is what the title to the section states. However, if you look at the body of the um, section, when dealing with related parties, the terms can't be less favourable to the SMSF, however, it does not prohibit the terms from being more favourable to the SMSF. Although agreeing on terms that are more favourable to the SMSF will mean that the non-arms length income provisions apply, which is often abbreviated to NALI. So to use a practical example, let's say an SMSF owns business real property and the market rents $1,000 a week. If the business real property is then rented to a related party, clearly the SMSF cannot charge the related party, say, $300 a week, as this would breach the Section 109. However, they should also not charge, say, $1,800 a week, as this would result in the gnarly provisions applying. Where the gnarly provisions apply, the SMSF will pay the top marginal rate on the entire income from the asset, so in this case the $1,800 a week, not just the portion of the rent above the market value. So whilst doing so is not technically a breach, obviously it's still best avoided considering the adverse tax outcome. The main other example of where the same principle applies is where the SMSF makes a loan to a related company within the 5% in-house asset restriction. The terms of the loan, including interest rate, must be at least market value to avoid a Section 109 breach and should be no more than the market value as to not subject the income to the gnarly provisions. Issues such as this are what our team loves to discuss, not only in our fortnightly BT Academy series, but also when we speak to advisors around strategy and legislation support when formulating advice for your clients. Don't forget, you can watch all our previous BT Academy episodes, plus register for upcoming live session, which will allow you to participate in the live polls, Q&A and discussion, and you can do that by heading to www.bt.com.au slash professional 
and following the links to the BT Academy webinar series. Tim Howard will be hosting our next webinar, episode 68, on Wednesday the 1st of February at New New South Wales time on the topic of superannuation death benefits. In the meantime, if you have any technical questions, you can contact the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or email technical at bt Thanks for joining and until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.